0: Hey everybody that was awkward well 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 you know what'd you think i think i need to move closer to the mic is what i say
1: probably yeah you should talk into it like it's a person
0: um let's do this let's do because you're. i'm I'm yelly you're also out of frame so i was trying to adjust it so you'd move this way a little bit instead of
1: two forms of media for this podcast is difficult Hi, this is City Wave Cinema. I'm James, that's America. We watched a movie called The Gentleman.
0: If you'd let me do that at the beginning, it would have been done already.
1: Well, now it's done.
0: Okay. (laughs) If James makes it through the end of this recording... I won't. It'll be a miracle. We watched The Gentleman. James likes to make me watch Matthew McConaughey movies, because he feels some type of vengeance for all the quote-unquote bad movies I've made him watch. I dislike Matthew McConaughey. If you're new here, that is the reason why. Greatly dislike him. Bless you. I gave a good gap for that for editing.
1: <laughs> Alright.
0: Um. So yeah, not a fan of Matthew McConaughey. In the slightest. Um. If you're not new here, you already knew that from my watching a fucking Sahara. I will say this movie was better than Sahara. So, there's that. Um, the first thing I hear at the start of this movie, though, is his voice, and it made me instantly upset. Instantly. First sound out of the movie is Matthew McConaughey. Blech. On the plus side, when we actually get some, like, Footage? It's a really pretty bar. That is a really pretty bar, because it opens up on Matthew McConaughey walking to this bar that he, I'm assuming, owns, because the guy calls him boss. If not, he at least does a lot of his dealings there. And uh, it's a really nice bar. Like, I want to go there and have a drink right now. Do you think it's a real bar?
1: No, and you want to know what? Well, m- maybe. But... Uh, a tiny bit of fun trivia that I noticed on this watch through, the 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 beer that they pour, the stem there, it has, you know how they have the logos when they pour? Yeah. The logo on that is Gritchie, okay. which is G. Richie, the initials of the director, mm-hmm. Guy Richie, mm-hmm. which I just thought that was fun. I didn't notice it the first time I watched the movie, so this is was, was exciting. To well, see.
0: there's a difference between watching it on a TV that's like.
1: Enormous, and a TV that's the size of my phone? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, He asks for a drink, I think it's scotch on the rocks, with a pickled egg. My man
1: asked for a beer and a pickled egg.
0: Did he ask for a beer?
1: Yeah, because he gets
0: poured a beer. Oh. It sounded more complicated than that. Maybe it wasn't. I was really focused on the pickled egg thing, because no one should be eating pickled eggs. That's true. Pickled eggs are gross. That's true. Like why? I don't know. Um. So we go through this little bit of where they're like it's basically like the internal dialogue of Matthew McConaughey, but then half like in the middle of the internal dialogue, he started talking out loud, and I was like, the amount of times I do that in a day, (laughs) where I'm having this like thought process in my head, and then I speak a sentence. It happened to me like ten times at Costco today. Sponsored, not sponsored, unless they want to. Um, But I was walking around Costco and I'd be like, well, I could do that, but I could also just go look over here and grab this like, and then started talking out loud. Like, my internal and external dialogues are the same dialogue. So I, I just really appreciated that. And then there's blood. We hear a gunshot and blood. And that's how the movie kicks off. And then it goes into this really actually love it. Um, This is something I did love from the movie is the intro sequence is really cool. I liked the art style of it. I liked the music of it. I just liked the whole vibe of it. I also really like that in film and media we've come back to this like whole intro sequence, like intro title cards, intro credits, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's something that people used to do a lot back when like, Movies were like actual events that you were going to, and it was like your playbill at the end of, or at the beginning of the movie was like so you could give credit where credit was due. Yep,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, all the old Disney movies did that and stuff, but then we moved away from it because, well, people got really annoyed by that. Cause I it, want
1: my movie to start at the beginning.
0: Pretty much. I mean, like, no one wants to sit through like 10 minutes of title cards at the beginning of the movie just to get to the movie, so like, I get it. But I also really like the history that goes behind it and, like, the nuance. And it can really help you set up the atmosphere and the tone of your movie. And I just, I don't know. I really liked it. I thought it was really cool looking. Like I said, I really liked the art. It really hit all the right buttons for me. It was just that intro sequence. Um, And then I immediately have a question as we open up on... I wrote it down. <laughs> I wrote it down.
1: You wrote down the names of the cast.
0: I wrote down Raymond, Ramond. What is Raymond? It? Raymond. It is Raymond. Raymond. Okay. Yeah. Raymond's apartment. And I have. I have a question that maybe you can answer for me. Okay. What year is it?
1: I believe it's the year of our Lord, 2019.
0: The movie is set in 2019.
1: I think so. Let me do some. Let me do a little. A little looking into that. And it came out in 2019, so probably maybe 2017,
0: 2018? It's just, I, I I felt like I missed, like, what year it was, and then there was, like, things that weren't matching up in my head. Now, give, granted, I don't live in England, and things look different over there.
1: McConaughey did answer a very large iPhone right at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I know. And then he put a record on, so... I had some questions about what year it was. Maybe he's got a
1: jukebox. I don't know.
0: He does. It's in the background, but not many places have jukeboxes that actually play records anymore. So I have questions.
1: What year is the gentleman set in? Uh,
0: uh. Any day now.
1: I. I want to tell you but I don't think anybody knows.
0: Okay, we're just going to say modern times though, like, yeah, we're gonna, like we're the gonna last five years.
1: Post 2015.
0: Okay, cool. That's all I needed to know. Um also, the paint job in that kitchen in that apartment that we open up on. Isn't it like purple? Yeah, it is not even a pretty shade of purple. Tru- it's just
1: truly an heinous to look at. Ugly
0: purple with blue cabinets.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I just it's such a nice house. It's so pretty. We get some really great shots of this dude's house. And then he has this purple-ass fucking wall in his kitchen with these blue fucking cabinets. And it's a light, like, lilac-y purple. And, like, a dark, like, royal blue. And it's just not okay. It's not good. It does, You have money. You have money! Hire someone to tell you what colors look good. Um. And then we meet... The reporter, Fletcher. Fletcher. Then we meet the reporter, Fletcher. Um, Hugh
1: Grant. Oh. Huh.
0: Aries said, "I see you taking away my squeaker, and I raise you." I'm gonna take that one too. Another Which squeaker. You fought like hell to get that out of that toy. Um, Fletcher rolls out and shakes a glass at Full of ice. Raymond. And um, I just how did. How did Raymond not see him standing there? He wasn't even hidden. He was just there. Standing. Lurking in, like, the not-so-darkness. And the way that Raymond walked in, he definitely would have seen him. That's my only bad note about this scene, because the rest of them is, I love both their accents. (laughs) Scottish, Irish, British accents can have me at any word like at drop of a hat notice done wait a minute like I love their accents it's so nice um I don't like Raymond's beard but that's just nitpicking it just doesn't suit him it doesn't I don't know what it was like I don't know if it was the way they shaved it or like what but it it looked weird in some angles um They do this little witty back-and-forth banter. Um, Like, clearly they know each other, but we, the audience, don't really know what's going on, so they do this back-and-forth banter for a good, like, five minutes, and really the only thing that came out of it for me before uh, Fletcher started the expositioning and narration of this whole thing uh, was they made this comment... Um, Fletcher made this comment about how he, like, I don't remember what Raymond said, but Raymond said something, and then Fletcher made a comment of like, I can feel myself engorging right now. And I was like, mm, yeah, I, bleh, I never want to hear the word engorging again oh, funny. it it was a weird use of it, and I don't want to hear it anymore. Um. And then they start to talk about who the movie is really all about, which is Mickey, right?
1: Mickey, yes.
0: Okay. Mickey. We start to talk about Mickey and how Mickey is this kingpin drug dealer in the UK. Yep. And, um... The crux of this story is Mickey's been doing this for a long time and he wants out of the game. Now, I don't know a lot about drug dealing and I don't know a lot about running crime rings or being a mob boss or any of that. But what I can tell you with my limited knowledge, my friends, is once you're in, there is no out. Ever. I've watched enough Batman and read enough Batman in my life to know that once you're fucking in, you don't get out. <laughs> you, you just don't. Even if you think you're out, they always drag you back in. So you just... Which, to be fair, is exactly what happens in this movie. You don't get out. That's why people say to stay away from bad people. Say no to drugs, children. Um... I also made a little note that when Raymond gets home, he puts a kettle on, and I said, what a good British man making some tea versus a nice stiff one at home at the end of a long day. (laughs) Because I come home, I pour myself a glass of wine, this man puts a kettle on and starts prepping some late night tea. Um, I guess I'm more like Fletcher in that regard than Raymond, because my brain says, hmm, yeah alcohol alcohol is the way to go here um overall because here's where we get start getting some interesting things that artistically i really enjoy um which is like i like quick flashes of things Mm -hmm. (laughs) shiny I have crow brains sometimes, so like when you do like quick flashes and they look really cool and you're throwing overlays on top of footage and you're like making it all connect seamlessly. Um, I was talking about it with James. Other movies that I like that did this are like The Great Gatsby, Mm -hmm. Moulin Rouge, Sherlock Holmes, Romeo and Juliet, those quick snaps and like.
1: Did Moulin Rouge.
0: The theme and over the same person that did uh, Great Gatsby. (laughs) Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Um, the overall the the theme and overall vibe of this movie I really like I like those things where it's just like it's so fast that you have to be paying attention like the whole time to catch everything and then at the same in the same breath like you you get to do like you get I don't know it just flowed so nicely like it really hit all the right notes there was one point that were like Our film starts and it showed like the old school real camera and it started flickering and then they were throwing like the old like film overlay on top of the new footage. I don't know. It just all really smushed together really nicely in my brain. Um, And then we really start talking about the inner workings of Mickey's business and how this whole thing started because he was trying to sell the business to this other dude whose name James will provide me in just a minute, but I called him Glasses Guy. Matthew? Matthew. Yeah. Um, And it's at this point where we're going through, like, the inner workings of Mickey's business and the setup for meeting Matthew that I realized I could never be a drug dealer.
1: Just a quick interjection as well. Would you like to see what else is on Guy Ritchie's... Resume, as, if you will. I knew that, though. I forgot he did Aladdin.
0: I I didn't because he, uh, he he does the same, like, sped up, slowed down footage in Aladdin that he used for Sherlock Holmes. And it was really jarring to me the first time I saw that live action Aladdin movie because it felt disjointed and weird in that setting. I still am not 100% on it. But, also, yeah. Also,
1: he for sure collects people because all his movies just have the same people in them.
0: Most of Hollywood is just a game of guess who. So, who's in whose pocket, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Um, Everyone but, should be in Guy Ritchie's pocket.
0: But, yeah, I could never be a drug dealer is what I was talking about before James distracted sorry, me with sorry. his ADHD. Sorry. Um, yeah, I could never be a drug dealer because I just don't have, as we were watching, like, Mickey be Mickey... And he's so suave and he's so smooth and they made a point of it of like just how he flows and fits and he's like got charisma and he just vibes with like upper echelons in society. I'm not cool. I'm not collected. Like 90% of the time I'm a panicked hot mess, even (laughs) if I'm not showing it. So drug dealing? Not my thing. Um... But in the same breath, like, as I'm watching Mickey do this, I'm just like, fuck yeah, my man. Get it. Like, like fucking get the thing. Go chase your dreams. Because like, they make this point that he started out from, like, nothing.
1: Born in America and poor.
0: And then he got into Oxford. Yeah,
1: the Rhodes Scholarship.
0: And just Clever never boy. came back. Yeah, pretty much. And just used his brain and everything else to get what he wanted. Very Alexander Hamilton-esque of him. Um, except Alexander Hamilton didn't deal drugs.
1: No, he dealt rum. It's so. sugarcane, so drugs.
0: Sugarcane is not a drug.
1: Sugar's addictive. No. Yeah.
0: There are no addictive properties to sugar. Here goes James Googling again. Because he can't let me finish my fucking notes. I'm only on note 18. James. Only, that's a note a minute. You are slowing me down.
1: Some studies have suggested that sugar is as addictive as cocaine.
0: You want to know what else they say is addictive? Video games. Yeah. Anything can be addictive. All right, well. Especially if you have addictive tendencies. But there's nothing inherently in sugar that makes it an addictive substance. Ray
1: has too many lamps in his house.
0: I'm going to need you to stop. Cause your ADHD is killing me right now.
1: Carry on.
0: You're just jumping around like so much because you don't have like notes to like ground I re- I you in this really podcast. Don't. I
1: didn't take very many notes.
0: Because you'd seen the movie, which yeah. is fine, but you're like jumping all over the fucking I, map. I am everywhere. Um <sighs> And then we meet uh the guy that's going to purchase the business. That's Matthew. Matthew. Um, And we hear Matthew McConaughey speak for, like, the first real time in this movie. That's not, like, ordering a drink or doing weird internal dialogue. And he, um, the hardest thing for me to get over about this movie is that my man Matthew McConaughey is saying British slang and uses british dialect and like british speech patterns with his deep ass southern accent. Texas really showed up. And it's it's very jarring and uncomfortable to hear him like go love and chaps. Chaps and there I cannot remember what the exact line was he said at that moment, but I it literally like made my skin crawl even more than it normally does when I hear him talk. Um, and I dislike Matthew right off the bat. Which Matthew? Yes. All right. But the character Matthew, when we meet Matthew, I immediately saw him and was like, I don't like you. Now, if you don't know about me, I have really good gut reactions about people, fake or otherwise. And I looked at Matthew and I said, nah, he ain't it. (laughs) He's not the one to sell it to. Now I couldn't obviously tell Mickey this, but if I could, I would have saved us a whole lot of trouble in this movie. Um, I again asked, and I don't know what made me ask. Whether it be like there were just little things throughout the movie that I kept going, what fucking year is it? Because someone would reference something, or there'd be a piece of technology that didn't fit with the overall genre. And so I again asked what year it was, and I kept, like, I was like, did I miss it? Did they set it up in the intro? And I was taking notes about how much I don't like Matthew McConaughey's voice. Um, I think the best part of this movie is the exposition bots, which is Fletcher and Raymond. Yep. I think their chemistry on scene... Um it's Hugh Grant and Charlie Hunnam, right? That's correct. Their chemistry and their acting makes this fucking movie.
1: Oh, it's so good. They're so good with each other.
0: They're so and they're like even their reacting and their background reactions like everything is just so good and it's so on point in every scene they're in it, together. It's just it's really good. It's just it's so good. It keeps you engaged for the movie, which is probably why they did it. Because if you're just watching the whole, like, Matthew McConaughey story and you didn't have these, like, like snap cuts back and forth to uh, Raymond and... Fletcher. Fletcher. I think it would be a really dry movie. I don't think it would hit as well. The What really, like, ties it all together and brings in this movie is Fletcher and Raymond's narration and interactions over top everything else that's happening because I'm not going to lie to you I didn't really give a fuck about the drug ring and Mickey's business dealings but having Fletcher tell me about Mickey's drug ring and business dealings made it a lot more interesting to hear so 10 out of 10 to Fletcher um I love England just full stop I love the way they talk. Ever, I love their culture. Have you ever been there? I am poor. But if I could go, I would. Fair. And I don't know if I'd come back at this point. Yep. Just going to leave that where that is. Um, and we are now... Mickey is now taking Matthew to show him... Just how secret his bunker is, because Matthew's concerned about purchasing this, and no one really knows how Mickey runs his business. No one knows how he does it, because he gets so much product. And they don't know where he grows it, because there's not a lot of land in England. Um, so he's explaining it as he's driving, and they do, again, a really cool uh, thematic thing here, where they do a bunch of, like... I called it the people social montage... Like, where it's, like, just, he's going, um, he's just giving, like, a social narrative critique as they're driving along, and it's smashing, like, clips of everything he says about, like, people need this, people do this, people want this, and it just, it was just nice. It was good filmmaking.
1: It's fast. Guy Ritchie does all of his filmmaking fast. It's fast and punchy.
0: Which is why I like Guy Ritchie. It's also why I like, uh... Like Baz Lerman. Yeah, those movies make anxiety brain happy because <laughs> it's operating at the same speed as my brain, and not many things can do that. My own body doesn't operate at the same speed as my brain. It's why I have processing speed issues because I can my brain goes zoom and my fingers don't go as fast. So it's just it it's just nice to watch content that makes my brain go, oh, I don't have to try to think ahead or do anything because it's going so fast that I don't have to try to fill in any gaps or jump ahead or think about other things. So that was really, really nice. Um, one of the things that they were talking about in the social montage is you find out that Mickey has been using land that's owned by people high up in the English echelon of people, so your lords, your ladies, your dukes, your duchesses, mm. Um. And basically building bunkers on their land and giving them a cut of the profits. Smart. Because guess what? The royals have no real power, and they don't really have real money. (laughs) They just inherit a bunch of ancient houses and a bunch of ancient land from... The last people who inherited them from the last people. And it's just been going on for so damn long. And everything is old and ancient. Like, if you... I I haven't been. But I've been on TikTok. And I know enough English people in TikTok to tell you that, like... A lot of their old houses and their streets and everything is exactly how it was, like, a hundred years ago. Which is crazy because if something's here for, like, more than 50 years in the U.S., we tear it down pretty much. Every once in a while you get, like, some historically preserved houses or, like, historic neighborhoods or things like that. But, like, even here um, in Austin, they're tearing down so many of those old houses, which is sad. We're losing a lot of, like, history and culture when we do that. But they're just tearing them down and building new ones right on top of it. Or they're putting bars in them. Or they're... Like doing stuff, and that's just something that's so different is to see people living in the same places using the same buildings for hundreds of years. That's
1: why all of those buildings look like shit. True. <laughs> They're falling apart.
0: Um, I, while I distrust the character of Matthew, I will say his actor is really good, and I like his line delivery and his comedic.
1: It's unsettling.
0: Timing, like, it's just good. He's really good at it. And his little monotone, like, unexpressive voice when he does it is just, oh, it's, it... Props to the acting in this movie. I wrote it several times, but all of the acting in this movie, even Matthew McConaughey, was really good acting. I will not deny that Matthew McConaughey is a good actor. Like, he is a really good actor. I just, every time he talks, I want to throw myself in front of a bus. It's a personal preference. I can hate him and admit he's good at what he does. Oh! Oh! That, that I, you can do both things, James. Okay. The acting in this movie was good. That's where this came up with. Um... (laughs) So we go down into the bunker.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, only one of them. There's like 12 of them spread out through England. Mm-hmm. And we go to number nine. Um, and the minute we open this bunker, there is so much fucking money in that bunker. Not like physical paper dollars, but the amount of plants, the so amount
1: much weed. of
0: weed that is in this bunker that you don't think is that big is so much money.
1: That's that's huge.
0: I'm from Colorado. I know a little bit about the weed business. And the illegal weed business is even more lucrative than the legal weed business. And the legal weed business is very lucrative. There is so much money in that bunker like an insane amount. So much so that it makes me nervous how much money that is in that bunker because if you light a match the wrong way the whole fucking thing's toast. That's terrifying. Um they then talk about the like they have this little quip it's uh Fletcher and Raymond have this little quip and it's echoed in the same little uh conversation that Matthew and Mickey have about, um, how marijuana is better than alcohol. They're correct. I'm just gonna say it. The drug that is more detrimental to you is legal. And that is alcohol. You never hear of anyone getting super stoned and then going and starting, like, fist fights. Because you want to know what you want to do when you're stoned? Melt. Melt into a puddle. Sit. Laugh. You want to laugh. Eat. Some people want to eat. Like, you just... You are filled with, like, good feelings. When you drink alcohol, you get angry. You get reckless. You make stupid choices. You do stupid, endangering things. Like... It's not healthy or good for you in any way. It's a chemical. It's a chemical. It's a chemically made drug versus a natural drug, A. And B, it is so bad for you. It's also addictive. And marijuana is not an addictive substance, despite what Christian talk radio might try to tell you. Um. We're outside, uh, it's really hard because there's just so many jump cuts between the two storylines, and we're playing a little bit of, um, the Hangover game here, where we see, like, this first initial clip, and the whole entire movie is spent getting to this first initial clip. Um, you're gonna fall asleep on me over there? No, no, no. I'm re- I'm rewatching it in my mind. Um. <laughs> just marveling
1: at it. It's so... It's just so punchy and back and forth. And it, I like that there's a little bit of a parallel, not to jump in so aggressively or anything, but you talk about the dynamic between... How did you do it, Aries? How did you find another squeaker? Oh, we got... It's the other one. Get out of here with that. There's so much wet dog toy on my desk. Um, there's, the dynamic that you mentioned between Fletcher and uh, Raymond is sort of mirrored in the dynamic between Matthew and uh, Michael, or Mickey. And it, it's it's this constant little poke prod back and forth, try to feel the other person out. But, you know, as the end of the movie reveals, it's not really a two-person game that Raymond is playing. No. <laughs> Which is hilarious, because it feels like the ball is absolutely in Hugh Grant's court.
0: Um so what the reason I mentioned that is cuz now we're back at uh Fletcher's no sorry Raymond's like house apartment thingy Yep And um he has this grill outside that James has told me unfortunately was made specifically for this movie but when I tell you that I want this barbecue in my house like right now I cannot express to you how badly I want this barbecue. It's basically a really long barbecue, probably as long as my my whole desk now that we got the addition, so pretty long, a good couple yard is three feet. Yeah, no, it's two yards or two meter sticks, but anyways, it's a decent size and it cooks on the top and heats your legs underneath. Do you know how epic that would be for fall? And winter, so good, so good. And it's a live open fire grill. Ugh, I want the grill is all I'm saying. Um. Raymond goes inside to get them some steaks to cook on the grill because Fletcher wants steak. And then Fletcher goes and touches the grill and gets burned. And guess what? This just in. Fire is hot, Fletcher, so if you touch shit that has fire on it, gonna get burned. And he seemed surprised by the fact that this was a thing that happened. And it was confusing. Um, And this is where we get the first clue to everything going on um, in the Raymond and Fletcher scenes. And that there, that's that there is a body in Raymond's freezer. We don't know who this body is. There's just a body in there with the steaks. I have a lot of questions and am confused at this point. Um, But then he immediately goes and cooks the steaks. He got the steaks out of the freezer. How did he defrost them so fast? Like, they are floppy when he puts them on the grill. And I don't know if it was just like... No one thought about it when they were making the movie, or what, but everything that happens in that scene is feasibly impossible.
1: I gotta give you credit there. I hadn't noticed that in my first viewing, and then you were like, wait, how'd the stakes thaw so fast? And I was like, son of a bitch, she's right.
0: How did they thaw? Like, they can't possibly have thawed. He pulled them out, frozen as bricks. Like... I don't, like I said, I don't know if it's an oversight or just, like, no one really thinking that through. But I think it's just an
1: oversight. I think they just were like, oh.
0: Go well, grab the steaks yeah, out he of the freezer. Yeah, the
1: steaks from the freezer, we see the dead body.
0: We throw them on the grill.
1: And then we throw them on the grill, right?
0: It's not how meat works.
1: That's not how meat works. Um, Tragic. And
0: then we... S- ...are told by Fletcher that Matthew's not the only person interested in buying Mickey's business. There's another man called the something... Dry Eye. Dry Eye. I was like, the something eye. Dry Eye. Um, who also wants to buy Mickey's business. Which is cool. Um, so... Dry Eye goes through this whole route because he provides Mickey's wife's with car or with parts for her car business.
1: He's not. It should be noted that he is not a regular dealer to her. This is a first time interaction. Oh, okay. Where he's he has done some trickery to get a hundred grand worth of exotic car parts, basically, into the country so that he can effectively donate them to Mickey's wife for her business to get a meeting get with a, Mickey yeah, in order to get a meeting and so you you we get the whole scene where dry is shown receiving the parts. it's known that it's made known that it's illegal the way he's done it and that uh, then we're introduced to the wife Rosalind
0: so. Dry Eye uses Rosalind to get a meeting with Mickey. In this meeting, my next note is the fact that he taps on his phone, typing out the number that he's willing to offer Mickey for his business for all of the sometime.
1: It is an exorbitant amount of time goes on while he is tic-tacking on his phone.
0: I wanna know what that number was. What, what Mickey do you think? said it
1: was a couple zeros short. So say we shave off, the number that's been thrown around between Mickey and Matthew is 400 million, right? Yeah. 400 million has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight zeros in it. So you take two of those off... God, my math is bad. (laughs) He offered $4 million.
0: He tapped on his phone way longer than $4 million would suffice.
1: And then he held it like this. Like, that was going to clearly show.
0: And he it was, it was
1: fucking bragging, like, that's a big fucking number.
0: See, I feel like he was holding it like this, because I think... I, first of all, I don't think Mickey wanted to sell the business anyways. So no matter what number he typed out... Sure, yeah. It was going to be zero.
1: It $400 million and that would have still gotten a no.
0: But, like, fun fact, the reason he has to show it like this is because if you do this, your phone doesn't show all the zeros.
1: 400 billion?
0: I'm not saying that's what he offered. I'm just saying that the reason he held it like this, James, on its side is because you couldn't show how big the number is if you hold it like this. Can you imagine Dry having 400 billion? I think he has a lot of money. Um... So, the dog means, oh, God, Mickey turns down Dry Eye's offer
1: aggressively.
0: Not as aggressively as our unreliable narrator would have you believe. <laughs> um, because this is the first moment we find out that Fletcher is an unreliable narrator, which calls into question the rest of the stories he tells. Because having an unreliable narrator makes everything in storytelling difficult for your audience because now we don't know if we can trust the narrator. So now every time there's a scene, we're like, oh, is that the way it really happened? Oh, did that really happen? It is a storytelling tool, but it is one that I dislike immensely because it's it just it's not nice to your viewer slash reader to have an unreliable narrator because now the story is questionable whether or not it's accurate or good or any of those things it's questionable what's actually happening and if that's the way it actually happened which is annoying it just like discredits everything that you've spent the last like 30 minutes setting up and doing but Fletcher's a storyteller and he's a reporter and he wants his big buck and it's made a point that he'll go to the highest bidder So the fact that he's doing something to spice up his story or doing this or that shouldn't shock anyone just as a character. But to your viewer, it's really, like, discomforting to have that happen. Um, and then we get a close-up of Mickey in this scene after we have, uh, after we're shown the calculator with the amount, which we don't get to see the amount, it's just shown Towards Mickey. Um, and that close up, Matthew McConaughey looks old. He's getting old. How old is he? I'm not sure. And at the time I didn't know what, what year this movie was made. And I just was getting really frustrated with the fact I have no info on this movie. And it was it's it's upsetting. Um. So we get the scene. We get two versions of this scene, and one is the unreliable narrator's version, which is Mickey shoots Dry Eye, then shoots his bodyguard, and then, like, really tortures Dry Eye. Um, That's not what happened. He gave him this passive-aggressive story about a lion attacking a dragon and shooting him in the head five times in the woods. And says, "I oh, there's a point to that story. I don't really know what it is. You're so smart. Maybe you could explain it to me. But the answer is no. I don't know about you. But I would have shot him. Dead. I would have done what the uh, first version of events was, which was shoot him. And that's all I gotta say about that. Take him out. End of story. And that's the line that Matthew McConaughey uses at the end of his story is end of fucking story. You're gonna be in the drug ring. You're gonna be a mob boss. You just need to start taking out people that are causing problems. Um... Which is part of the problem of this movie is that people start start do getting taken out, and then it causes a messier thing to clean up. But if you kill everybody, then nobody's there. There's no mess to clean up because everybody's gone. Anyways, we get this cut to this gang of hoodlums, this roaming gang of hoodlums, um, who are breaking into the grow house that we saw at the beginning of the movie with Matthew and Mickey. Um, estate number nine. They break in there or before they break in there they pull like down these ski masks they break into the bunker and the minute they get into the bunker they take off their masks. It's like two seconds to get into that bunker. Like what the fuck was the point of the masks? If you were just gonna take them off immediately when you got inside. Um, and it's at this point that I'm really confused what is happening, because no one should be in the super secret bunker. Yep. Because nobody knows where the super secret bunker is. Yep. Um, so I was confused. Naturally. And then we jump to this diner, where this dude is ordering some food. Mm,
1: mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm.
0: And we're not really given an explanation of... Why we're in this diner when nope. we're just watching Mickey's grow house get broken into. And we're not really explained what's going on. So now I'm just getting progressively more confused. But the man in this diner is referred to as Coach by these hoodlums, these other hoodlums, different hoodlums than the previous hoodlums that were breaking into the grow house. These other hoodlums
1: are actual children.
0: And he. Is referred to as coach and procededly teaches these young men a fucking lesson in the (laughs) best way possible. Uh, Smacks them down without really hurting any of them.
1: That's great.
0: And it's just like it's a very Kingsman style scene, and it's really good. And I really like it.
1: Colin Farrell, baby, what a monster of an actor. Did you know that he played Grindelwald for 10 seconds?
0: Yeah. Is there any other thoughts about that? Or just... We
1: really should have just gone back to Colin Farrell as Grindelwald, I think. Yeah. I was I was thinking about
0: that because it was a disguise. As, as an
1: aside, it's canon at that point that Grindelwald knows how to look like Colin Farrell. And we could have just had him be Colin Farrell. And and that would have been fine. That would have been, I feel like that would have assuaged the angsty Harry Potter fans for the most recent Grindelwald movie. Yeah. I think that would have been like a, we're not happy about it, but at least it's not unknown. And instead we got Matt Nicholson, and no discredit to Mads Mickelson, but I would have been less annoyed if I had Colin Farrell.
0: But we're not talking about that movie.
1: No, we're talking about The Gentleman. Ah, it's a good movie.
0: Um, in this diner scene, as these kids are getting the smackdown put on them, there is this lady in the background who has the best, some of the best background acting.
1: Oh, is it the lady behind the counter? Yeah, I have
0: ever seen in <laughs> my The whole staff life. is just
1: back there just, like, hanging out.
0: Her facial expressions are great, and she's just having the best time of her life. Like just
1: back there smirking.
0: 10 out of 10, great. Um, Now, these... Uh, these uh, hoodlums that broke into Mickey, Mickey's grow house. The
1: adult group of hoodlums known as the toddlers. Yes. That's what their little gang name is.
0: The hoodlums uh, were filming the entire break into Mickey's grow house and then posted it on YouTube.
1: As a rap video.
0: Because that's what Gen Z is all about. If They're you- not even
1: Gen Z. They're like whole entire adults.
0: How old are they? Look it up cuz they're not that old.
1: Okay, it, uh, if you want to pretend they got cast in their own age group, Bugsy Malone, the guy who plays Ernie, the like lead guy, was born in 1990.
0: So, so millennials. Yeah. That's still a very millennial trademark. Really, the social media generations. If you didn't... If you didn't do,
1: do some dumb shit, put it online. Yeah,
0: if you didn't put it on fucking line, did it even really happen? Dude, Probably I, not. Pixar
1: didn't happen. Yeah. We made that
0: up. That's a millennials like tagline is Pixar didn't happen. So, But what I love about that whole thing is not only did they put it online, but they fucking edited it into a rap video like with freaking title cards of every rapper's name mm-hmm. like fancy filters like they were doing transitions like it was so oh, oh. so good
1: <laughs> it's just such a fucking nice touch it's these little things these little attention to details things that just makes the movie so fucking good
0: did they actually rap it like are they actually th- rapping
1: Bugsy Malone is
0: Ernie mm-hmm. he's okay. a,
1: he's a real rapper that's his job he was he was not an actor first. He's a rapper first.
0: I was just wondering if like that like there was actually the actors rapping that song or if it was Oh, don't Let me look.
1: Uh, let me look at Well, that. I mean
0: you already told me one of them, which was my main one, which was Ernie. I didn't know I would just wanted to know if they were like all actually rapping the song or if it was just they were just lip singing and someone else was rapping. So you've already answered my question, Moreland. Yeah. Um And then we get thrown back to Matthew and Mickey who are talking about this break-in that happened and how Matthew's just there for Mickey he just wants to help out and he gives Mickey a paperweight
1: I was right he gets the credit as the as the rapper.
0: um he gives Mickey a paperweight that is a gun it's a gun it's a it's a whole gun with bullets a fancy gun but it's a gun um and then they give this line that it's a gun and a paperweight and (laughs) it's said by uh mickey's wife when he gets back to show her what matthew has given him to help with his business quote unquote um and then That's kind of where I want to leave this first episode is just on that great line of it's a gun and a paperweight. (laughs) Um, And then we can jump into a little bit more of why Fletcher is telling this whole story when we get back. So that is part one and we will see you all next time.